0: I am here, and I will see you next week, my friend. Take care, Stephen. Cheers. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Doing great. Thank you for having me, Sean. Oh, you're welcome. Do you want to just tell the viewers a little bit about your work?
1: Sure. I'm a a journalist. I've been a journalist my whole career since I graduated college back, I don't know, 12 years ago. Uh, Focus on a lot of different things, especially education, uh, climate change. Actually, as soon as I get done with this interview, I'm going to rush to the airport to catch a flight to the COP28 in the United Arab Emirates um i write books i I do shows and uh very very passionate about a few things like preserving our freedom and doing what's right exposing evildoers and telling the truth
0: (laughs) who are the main evildoers on your hit list
1: well their commander-in-chief satan is a good place to start but you know we've we've got uh, i I actually wrote a whole book about the evildoers that deep state the invisible government behind the scenes we go through bilderberg council on foreign relations uh the Skull and bones Society, the Bohemian Grove, the World Economic Forum. Uh, you know, it's a big club and uh, as that great comedian used to say, we're not in it.
0: <laughs> Is Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton? Are they in it?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know. I, I would imagine they are not at the decision-making level. They're kind of minions. You know, Bill Clinton had to go to a, get an interview at Bilderberg before they'd let him be president. He was just a no-name governor of Arkansas. But that, that's kind of the way these things work. They find a, a stooge willing to do what they want. They promote him up through the ranks. They make him a puppet president. Uh, we're dealing with one of those right now, as a matter of fact. And, um, yeah, it's all very nefarious.
0: Yeah, our first guest today was an expert on the JFK assassination, and he was talking about how the invisible hand versus the power of the president and i asked him you know of the vested interests that he believed conspired to kill jfk you know kind of who was at the top of that who do you think's at the top of it
1: as far as the jfk assassination goes no in um,
0: in in general at at the deep state in this modern day who do you think is at the top of it now
1: yeah, what I said earlier, half kidding, I'm I'm actually dead serious. I, I look at the Bible, and I think the Bible pro- provides a comprehensive way of looking at the world. And the Bible is very clear that evil is a person with a personality. It's uh, Satan. We read about him in Genesis when he's deceiving Adam and Eve. And I uh, read about all the way at the end where he gets thrown into the lake of fire. And I, I don't know that all of the people working for his cause necessarily understand this. But when you look at the depth of the evil that we're dealing with here, Sean, this isn't, you know, when people say they're just about money, they just want more power. They already have all the money and the power that they could ever possibly want. What more money and power do they need? This is actually evil. And, uh, you know, as you go down from there, there are the secret societies. i I mentioned some of them in my book. Then there's the kind of superficial level that we can actually see, even though they're in the shadows. Uh, You guys in the UK have the Royal Institute for International Affairs. We've got the sister organization here in America called the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, Very, very powerful organizations. And then the World Economic Group and things like this. These are kind of like public facing front groups right the the real decision making doesn't happen at the world economic forum as where marching orders are given to the lower level minions
0: that's a really interesting observation because i've often contemplated these people have all the power and money in the world why do they want more and more and more is it some kind of addiction but you're saying that it's like a pyramid of evil
1: It quite literally is a pyramid of evil. It is diabolical in the truest sense of the term. Uh, And and I think that is what confuses a lot of people because they look at this and they think, you know, why would anybody want to do that? I I just want to feed my family. I just want to, you know, make a nice living and drive a decent car. I'm not interested in enslaving other people. I'm not interested in uh, uh, forcing things on people and telling people what to do. And so normal people just don't comprehend this mindset. But unfortunately, it's something that has plagued mankind from the dawn of history i mean you look anywhere around the world anytime in history you always have this population of megalomaniacs and psychopaths that are never satisfied with just money and power uh, it really we're dealing here with actual evil and i think people who aren't in the depths of it struggle a little bit to understand it but it's very real
0: so how high up in the pyramid of evil would you say someone like recently deceased henry kissinger was
1: Well, Henry Kissinger was recruited by the Rockefeller dynasty. So he is not a, I would say, not a real decision maker. He's following orders. He's being told what to do by the Rockefeller clan. And uh, and this was very clear throughout his career. Right. He gets to serve in government. He gets to be a national security advisor, He gets to be a secretary of state. But that's not where the policy is really coming from. Right. And and of course, it was Henry Kissinger who recruited Klaus Schwab. So he's certainly upper level. I'm I'm sure he strategizes a little bit. But ultimately, he's being told, hey, we want to move the world in this direction figure out how to make that happen. And so, you know, obviously he was a brilliant man. He's a very highly intelligent, a brilliant strategist, uh, very evil as well. But uh, he was not a decision maker in the true sense of the term. I think he was more of an implementer of the decisions that are made. And he, his one of his uh, more recent books, the one that came out in uh, 2014, I believe, World Order, he outlines this plan to pursue what he describes as world order, which is a synonym for world government. And he says the contemporary quest for world order is going to involve dividing the world up into regional orders and then finding a way to relate these regional orders to one another. And so he, he talks about the European Union as like the premier example of this, but they're building these all over the world. Putin's building the Eurasian Union. Uh, the Africans are having an African Union imposed on them by the Chinese and the EU. Uh, so so this is a strategy that was not developed by Henry Kissinger. He's just the front man for that agenda, very much like Klaus Schwab. This is not the guy who's coming up with the big vision. This is the guy who's the mouthpiece for the public, for the big business CEOs, etc. All right, then.
0: So within the mortal realm, who are the ones coming up with the big decisions
1: Well, that's a very good question. And uh, I I suspect that a lot of the people who are at the top are probably not well known to average people. They're not people whose names you're going to find in the news very frequently. Uh, One name that does come to mind, though, and I think really needs to be taken very seriously is the Rothschild dynasty, Uh, incredibly wealthy European banking dynasty. You know, in the United States, you can talk all you want about George Soros, right? Oh, George Soros is evil. He's actually the guy who puts more money into our political process than any other human being on the planet. So Clearly, he's an influential guy. Well, how did George Soros get his start? Very few people know this story. He got his start with seed money from the Rothschild banking dynasty. He set up the Quantum Fund in Switzerland, earned thousands of percent return every year, a lot of it through insider trading. And I can say that confidently. He was convicted of insider trading in a French court. Uh, And so Soros is not the top of the pyramid. But you look at the Rothschilds, they're a really interesting family. Uh, the guy that they chose to write the book about them, uh, Niall Ferguson, kind of the, the court historian, if you will, the pet historian of the elite. He actually wrote uh, Kissinger's biography as well. It tells you something. <laughs> um, he says in this book about the Rothschild dynasty that they are the ones who decided who would win the Napoleonic Wars between the, the United Kingdom and France. These are the two most powerful governments on the face of the planet 200 years ago. And you're telling me that this one family that you're painting in a good light decided the outcome of that war? Now, that is a lot of power. Imagine having the power to decide the outcome of a war between the two most powerful governments in the world. And so that's one name that I think we we need to keep in mind. Certainly, they're not alone. Uh, but, you know, I think Bill Gates, these kinds of guys, they're allowed to earn a lot of money. They're allowed to occupy these positions of power. But ultimately, if they were to buck the system, if they were to come out and say, oh, my goodness, I'm terribly sorry. What we did was evil. We never should have done it. Here's who's responsible. Uh, they would be removed from the scene faster than you can say, Bill Gates.
0: So, what if you had to categorize or prioritize the agenda for these people? What would be like the top five things?
1: Well, uh, on the superficial physical plane, they tell us pretty openly at this point what they're doing. I mean, George H. W. Bush, a member of Skull and Bones, a secret society at Yale, member of the Council on Foreign Relations, regular Bilderberg participant, a regular attendee at the Bohemian Club. Very influential guy. He went on national TV in 1991 and he told us, we're working to create a new world order. And he then defined it further. He said, uh, a world where the rule of law not the law of the jungle, will govern the conduct of nations. So we're talking about global law here. Uh, the last Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon, was very fond of calling the UN the Parliament of Humanity. So that's where you're going to get your global law from. He says this new world order uh, it will be a world in which a credible United Nations, and forgive the oxymoron, I know that sounds quite ridiculous to a lot of people, but he said a credible United Nations would use its peacekeeping role, by which he's talking about his total double speak. He's talking about their armed forces, their peacekeeping troops, To implement the vision of the UN's founders, which is cute until you realize who the UN's founders were. Right, this was after World War II. Uh, Pretty much the Americans and the Soviets, with a little help from the Brits, uh, created this thing. And uh, Joseph Stalin sent his minion, uh, Foreign Minister Molotov. We sent a guy that uh, we thought very highly of, associate of Kissinger. He was uh, working senior level at the State Department. He used to run the Carnegie Fund. Uh, And so he, they liked him so much they made him the chairman of the conference that wrote the UN Charter. Then they made him the first Secretary General of the UN. Uh, His name was Alger Hiss. Then we prosecuted him. We found out he was a spy for Joseph Stalin. So we threw him in federal prison. Mm -hmm. So when George Bush talks about a credible United Nations, that's going to use its peacekeeping troops, its war making forces to bring about the vision of the UN's founders, that should send a chill down your spine. Now, Klaus Schwab, uh, in his book on the Great Reset, he talks about, you know, people are real upset about the globalization because of COVID and everything. So he says we have an in-between solution. Right? And so the in-between solution to the problem of national sovereignty, self-government, things like this, he says, is regionalization. So you ask, what are their top goals? Well, they want a one-world system, religious, political, economic, et cetera, And they're building it right now at the UN Climate Summit. They want the world divided up into regional governments that will be a part of this global order that they're building. They want to eliminate human freedom, as we have known it traditionally. Um, you know, I know uh, other parts of the world don't necessarily share these concepts, but our country, the United States of America, was founded on what our founding fathers said in the Declaration of Independence was the self-evident truth that God created us, that God gave us rights, that these include the right to life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness, They want to eliminate all that. They don't want you to think of yourself as having any rights beyond what they choose to give you. And so if you want to know what does the world order look like if these megalomaniacs get their way, what is their agenda items? Well, it's going to look a lot like communist China. When the World Economic Forum says you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, they mean it, right? Uh, You will own nothing. And if you're not happy, we'll have a problem. But we'll make you happy with drugs. We'll make you happy with video games and metaverse and all the rest of it. So uh, they're quite literally talking about a totalitarian global order that would eradicate individual freedom, that would do its best to silence and ultimately eliminate anyone who stands against it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that means we all have an obligation to stand against this agenda.
0: So is this a function of the Anglo-American establishment? And if so, how does the Muslim world, China, and Russia fit into this? Do they have their own separate pyramids of evil?
1: Excellent question. And are you, are you when you say Anglo-American establishment, do you have Carol Quigley in mind?
0: Well, yeah, I did read that book. <laughs> okay,
1: fantastic. So uh, Carol yeah. Quigley, I think, was very, very correct on a lot of things. And he attributes this effort toward a one world order, the establishment of the Council on Foreign Relations, etc., to this Anglo-American establishment. He talks about Cecil Rhodes, who incidentally was financed by the Rothschilds, who we talked about earlier to build his mining um, concern, if you will. And... Um, One of the things that's interesting, I think he's right on a lot of things. But I think one of the things that a lot of people today miss is that a lot of the power structures that you're talking about, the communist Chinese power structure is a very obvious example, were actually put into place by the Anglo-American establishment. There's some really good books. One of America's most important historians was at Stanford University. His name was Anthony Sutton. Um, Almost everything he ever wrote should be mandatory reading for everyone. Uh, One of his books was Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, where he explains that very, very wealthy interests in London- in wall street on new, in new york set out to deliberately overthrow the czarist government in russia they gave millions of dollars to vladimir lenin they gave millions of dollars to leon trotsky and supported and really funded the overthrow of russia and the enslavement of that great empire under soviet communism his next book uh, in the trilogy was called uh, wall street and the rise of hitler so here you have again these same power players helping hitler come to power in fact Uh, One of the Bush uh, bigwigs, Senator Prescott Bush, who was the father of George H.W. Bush, the grandfather of George W. Bush, was busted under the Trading with the Enemy Act for helping to finance the Nazi war machine through Union Bank, all members of Skull and Bones. Uh, And so you have these these Anglo-American interests, if you will, bringing these new powers and China that happened very clearly. Uh, The best book that I know of on this is called Again, May God Forgive Us. It's about how senior people within the U.S. government, within the Anglo-American hierarchy, brought Chairman Mao to power on purpose. They did the same thing in Cuba with Fidel Castro. Not only did they bring Mao to power, then they built up his regime. Henry Kissinger was an instrumental player in this when he went back there in 1971, opened up relations. We then transferred our technology to them. We we basically built China into the superpower that it is today. And so is there competition among these people at the top? Of course there is, right? Just like there is among the mafia. These people have no morals. Uh, If you look at Joseph Stalin, for example, the vast majority of his deputies and lieutenants ended up executed and tortured by Joseph Stalin. So there's no honor among thieves. There's no honor among totalitarian globalists. But I would argue that, yes, the Anglo-American establishment is absolutely critical to understanding this. And even these other establishments that we talk about in many, and BRICS is a really good example of that, right? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. The name BRICS came from Goldman Sachs. I mean, how much more blatant do they have to be? So uh, I do believe that it does go back to the Anglo-American establishment and ultimately to the pit of hell.
0: (laughs) So you started earlier on talking about the Rothschilds and the manipulation of war and the profiteering from war. Could that be done in a nuclear age, though? Or is it mutually assured destruction for the entire planet?
1: Well, you know, I, I studied the mutually assured destruction doctrine as a student in, in elite private schools. And that's what we were told. Yeah, I, I was born during the Cold War, and we were told, oh, man, if a nuclear war breaks out, you're all dead. Uh, at this point, I believe a lot of that was propaganda. I believe they wanted us to believe that with one little mistake, we would all go up in smoke, all life on the planet would end. And so give up all your sovereignty, give up all your freedom to the U.N. And that's how we'll prevent that from (laughs) happening. Um, So I I do believe that a lot of that is propaganda. But we need to understand that war is actually one of their most effective weapons in their arsenal. Um, I mentioned the Council on Foreign Relations, one of their operatives, Lincoln Bloomfield. He was hired by the U.S. State Department back in the early 1960s to put together a report. And the title of the report gave the agenda away. It was called A World Effectively Controlled by the United Nations. And so the goal of this paper, this report, State Department and Institute for Defense Analysis, was to figure out how do we get from where we are a world of relatively sovereign nation states to where we want to be, which was a world effectively controlled by the United Nations. And he concluded in his report that with current trends, we'd be looking at hundreds of years to get to a one world order under the UN. But he said you can accelerate this process dramatically. And he said the fastest way to accelerate the process is war, crises and the threat of war. And, and we've seen this play out so clearly, Sean. Look at World War I, right? Out of World War I, we had the League of Nations was born. The only reason that didn't get built out into a bigger system is because the US Senate refused to get us involved in that. What happened after World War II? Society was in ruins, millions of people, the tens of millions of people dead. What, what came out of that? The United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the European Coal and Steel Community, which eventually was built out into the European Union. So they understand full well that war can help them bring about these things. So when we see what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, we see what's going on with Israel and the Hamas, the Arabs, we see what's going on with free China and communist China. Recognize, folks, that these evildoers would not hesitate to get rid of millions of you if they thought they could use a major cataclysmic, even nuclear war, to get people to finally surrender ideas of national sovereignty, individual liberty, and all the rest of it, and I do believe that's what they're cooking up right now, Sean.
0: So when you see these, you know, the pictures of babies getting picked out of rubble and ravers getting kidnapped and and things happening to them, how
1: do these people sleep at night? I mean, do they get off on it? They do. That's that's what I tried to say earlier. You know, normal people can't understand this because we don't think that way. The idea of hurting a baby is something that causes like everything inside of us to just recoil in horror. But when you are consciously serving evil, Not only do they get off on it, uh, they love doing that kind of stuff. Uh, One of our big magazines in America, it's an absolutely disgusting magazine. It's called Cosmopolitan. It's very well known, you know, long history. Uh, Their latest issue actually has and and this is going to be hard to believe for people. So I encourage you to go read the articles yourself if you can stomach it. Uh, They've got a, a package of articles. One is about the Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic in New Mexico run by the satanic Temple. Openly. Right. This is not hidden. This is all in the open. They named it after one of our Supreme Court justices, mothers. And one of the other articles in the same issue talks about how you can turn your home abortion into a satanic ritual. And it has instructions for women as they're having an abortion at home with these medicines that they got from the satanic temple. They can say certain things and turn it into a satanic ritual. Now, for normal people, that's like, well, that's weird. Who would do that? To these people, they are absolutely serious. And I don't believe you can understand the evil that is enveloping our world today unless you understand that the other side, the evil doers, they are truly enmeshed in this evil ideology, this evil occultism. And it's actually right at the core of what they're doing.
0: Oh, my God, Alex, you've, made, you've got me speech. Just turning abortions into satanic rituals. I've never heard of anything like this.
1: Yep. Well, and, and they have a there's a method to their madness. They're saying that, you know, we have in America the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no law respecting freedom of speech, religion, etc. And so they're arguing now that we're doing religious rituals here when we're committing abortion. So uh, you can't interfere with us doing these satanic rituals because religious freedom. So uh, it, it really is horrifying. But uh, I encourage people to recognize that. This is far more ubiquitous than any of us would like to admit. Uh, You know, the book Marx and Satan, I think is the most important book anybody could ever read about communism and Karl Marx. This is a guy who was writing poetry to Satan, talking about how he was in league with him, how he hated God. Uh, You look at Hitler and the Nazis, deeply involved in the Thule Society, the theosophy and stuff like this. It's just ubiquitous once you get into this evil clique, if you will. You just see all this stuff that doesn't make sense just from a materialistic point of view. And and I don't think this can be seen through a materialistic point of view and make any sense.
0: So, Alex, what's your perspective on how the pandemic played into the plans of these evildoers doers?
1: Well, very interestingly, in 2010, the Rockefeller Foundation, to talk about the Rockefellers again, put out this report uh, on technology and future development, and they had this scenario in their lockstep where they imagined a hypothetical novel pandemic involving a respiratory virus coming out of China that was going to require all sorts of unprecedented measures. Never before in all human history had we quarantined well people. <laughs> it never mm-hmm. occurred to anybody. Never before in human history had we required people to show a, a proof of a injection, before 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 they could go on the metro or go out to eat food or even go grocery shopping in some places. Never before had we imagined biometric digital identification papers to be able to just exist in society. And yet this Rockefeller Foundation report foresaw all of this. They also foresaw that communist China would be the model for protecting people and Western countries with their obsession with rule of law and individual rights would allegedly suffer. Because of these obsessions. And so uh, I think their objective, uh, I, I think there were multiple objectives with this. Uh, one was, of course, shutting down as many small businesses as they possibly could. And we saw that very clearly. Amazon share price almost doubled. Walmart share price increased by 50%. Meanwhile, all your local mom and pop shops out of business couldn't open, et etc. Uh, we saw this incredible transition into the fourth industrial revolution where suddenly everything was happening over a computer church was happening over a live stream school was happening over a live stream etc and what does that do for one it gives these evildoers data on everything and everyone every classroom every response from a student in a classroom every church sermon that's being preached. everything was being vacuumed up by these people and data is uh, you know one of the most valuable commodities in the universe today So that was a big part of it. Testing, right? I I think a big part of this was how far can we push people? Can we really make them disinvite their family members to dinner because they have a different point of view on an injection or a face mask? And it worked, right? Um, They also, I, I think, wanted to instill an incredible amount of fear. And I think a lot of people have been lulled to sleep because the worst excesses have kind of been scaled back a little. Folks, make no mistake, the infrastructure that was laid down during those years is still in place it's ready to be reactivated at a moment's notice and the next time won't be nearly as easy to escape at at least you know here in florida it was pretty easy to escape thanks to our governor our legislature our state and local officials um but uh, folks they're planning to do it again and again and again until you surrender all your freedom and accept the plan that these people have for your life
0: alex i imagine some people watching this at this point are thinking this is pretty bleak what the hell can we do about this do we have any hope
1: uh, well, I'm, I'm extremely hopeful. As you can see, I'm pretty much always smiley. And um, there's a number of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. I, I know many of your viewers are not Christian. I am Christian. And so I, I've read the end of the book. I know how this ends. Uh, all these evildoers are going to be exposed, stopped and punished. So uh, I praise the Lord for that. And I know that's coming when I can't say, but I know it's coming. And so that is very encouraging to me. Uh, secondly, uh, there is so much that we can do to stop these totalitarians. And it begins with the simple act of becoming informed learning about what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and then preparing ourselves. Then it involves our families. You know, how do we raise our children in such a way that they're going to think about stuff, that they're going to be decent human beings? How how do we go about raising up a next generation that's going to appreciate liberty, that's going to uh, stand against evil? So that's uh, something critical that we can do. And I'll tell you what, I am i could not be more encouraged by the collapse of their ability to set the narrative, Sean. Uh, You look at the polling and, and, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a big part of my life in Europe, Latin America, Africa. I know things are different in other parts of the world. I've been overseas almost all my life. But I can tell you here in America, where I'm sitting right now, nobody believes the media and their own polls show them that, right? Less than a fourth of people actually have any trust left in the media. That to me is hugely encouraging. Uh, I encourage people to go out and just talk to normal people. What you'll find really quickly is that your average everyday person, plumbers, mechanics, waitresses, taxi drivers, they get it. They might not understand all the details. They might not be able to name all the names, but they know they're being lied to. They don't like this manipulation. They know they're concerned about the future of their children. And they know that there are evil people perpetrating these crimes against us. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. Uh, I don't want to sugarcoat the situation, we're headed towards some really serious turbulence and i would encourage people to prepare for that mentally physically and spiritually but there are lots of reasons to be hopeful and i think we must be hopeful um you know once you lose hope you lose everything it's over we cannot lose hope and we have good reason not to lose hope
0: so you mentioned the education system then so i've got a three month old baby here and at some point you know he's going to be going into school i'm not going to be there to see what's happening what kind of things do i need to be cognizant of and How do I steer him away from these traps that they've got in the education system?
1: It's a very good question, Sean. And unfortunately, there's no easy answer. Nobody wants to hear the answer to this question because it involves a major sacrifice. Uh, The subject of my next book, which will be released in just uh, less than a couple of weeks now, is dealing with the history of the public school system. How did this system come about? People don't even ask themselves this. They don't realize that 150 years ago, the idea that the government would educate our children would have been inconceivable (laughs) to your average person anywhere in the world. So my short answer to your question is, don't send them to a public school. Find a good private school that you can trust or better yet. Um, you know. And I know the legal landscape is changing rapidly in Europe. I was in Sweden when they banned homeschooling there. It was atrocious. But if you can try to homeschool it's not nearly as difficult as they want you to think it's more rewarding than just about anything you could ever do with your life i have five children we homeschool them and i wouldn't trade it for the universe (laughs) i'll tell you what it's a great joy the kids will get a great education you don't need a phd or a teacher's degree to do it any parent is qualified to teach their. there's nobody in the world who loves your children more than you do so my simple advice would be don't send them to a public school
0: well congratulations on having five children man that's amazing
1: Bill Gates and Ted Turner wouldn't think so, but uh, hey, I agree. <laughs> so, you must have
0: your hands full.
1: We do, and, and and it's a great kind of full. I mean, the, the joy that comes from children is just—you uh, can't put it into words. I mean, it's a reason to live. It's it, you know, when the Bible says children are a blessing, it's absolutely true uh and congratulations on on your new one uh you know i I wish you all the best with that it's it's so rewarding it's such a great thing and uh you know you have maybe 18 years so take advantage of them and and enjoy and uh you know it it, it's the parent is uh, the relationship between a parent and a child is something that's sacred it's something that's special there's no other relationship like it and so uh you know best of luck to you i'm sure it's going to be awesome
0: so, does this stuff worry you about the future of your children though? what What kind of challenges may arise because of this agenda?
1: Of course it does. you know, of course, I'm concerned about the direction things are going in, and I think anybody with with reason and logic and common sense would look at the storm clouds building on the horizon and say, "Whoa." Uh, that isn't good, right? And -hmm. uh, even if it doesn't affect my grandparents' generation, uh, it's gonna affect us and it's gonna affect our children. And so with that in mind, we need to act not out of fear. Fear is a tool that they use to manipulate us and control us, but we need to act out of love. If you love your children, if you love your fellow human beings, you don't want these bad things to happen to them. You don't want another round of global tyranny to come about. You don't want this insane policy prescription that they're uh, assigning for us. And so, uh, you know, acting out of love, we must do everything we can to protect our children, our grandchildren, the next generation, and even just our neighbors and our friends.
0: Alex, this has been fascinating. I know you've got to get going to your next appointment, but huge thank you for coming on. Can you let the viewers know where they can find you and support you, please?
1: Sure. Thank you so much, Sean. So my personal website is libertysentinel.org. Sentinel is S E N T I N E L. And then it's .org, not .com. And then uh, I'm also senior editor at the New American Magazine. I'll be covering the UN Climate Summit uh, for the New American. You can find it at thenewamerican.com. And uh, I'm also on Twitter at Alex Newman underscore J-O-U for journalism. And uh, thank you again, Sean. It was really a pleasure and an honor.
0: All right, you too. salute your work and good luck with the climate change stuff. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you're looking for a gift, my new book, Sit Downs with Gangsters, is available worldwide on Amazon. We've interviewed over a 1,000 people now, and we selected 10 of the hardest-hitting stories to go in this book. Each chapter features the story of one of our podcast guests, those stories are Shane Taylor, Knife Maniac's Redemption, John Elite, Mafia hitman for the Gambino crime family, Joey Barnett, 35 years in UK prison, Ian Blink MacDonald, £6 million bank robber, Chet Sandu, Asian smuggler in Spanish Supermax, John Lawson, the hit team commander, David Macmillan, international smugglers, Thai death row prison escape, John Abbott, San Quentin prison shootouts and escape, Michael Francis, Colombo crime family capo portrayed in Goodfellas. And Wildman, English enforcer in Arizona prison. Link in description box on YouTube. Available worldwide on Amazon. Also, my next book, Untouchable Jimmy Savile, is getting published in December 2023. So check that out as well. It will be available worldwide on Amazon. Thank you for listening. Cheers.